Thank you for sharing with us daily. Let me share a quote with you this morning to get started. It comes from John Quincy Adams. He said, you will never know how much it has cost my generation to preserve your freedom. I hope you will make good use of it. This morning as we celebrate Thanksgiving together, my goal is for us to make good use of the freedom that God has granted to us through the sacrifice of others. And today we do want to celebrate Thanksgiving, but we also want to take the opportunity to ask the last question in this series that we've been working through. Thanksgiving is a great time for us, and it's a great time for us to celebrate family, but of course it's also a great time for us to shop. Uh, actually, used to be we celebrated Black Friday, now we just celebrate the whole week. Uh, used to be, the, actually I remember, I guess it was about two years ago, they began opening up the stores on Thanksgiving Day, and I think it's the whole month of November for many of the, the stores today. Um, but regardless of what people think about when they think of Thanksgiving, it is still a great time for us to remember what we are so thankful for. And I hope that you will do that this week. As you spend time with family and friends, as you spend time around a table, as you spend time in front of the football, uh, the TV watching a football game, use that as an opportunity to really be thankful, to reflect on how good God has been to you. For me, I'm very thankful for my family. I'm grateful to have a wife that I love and three amazing children uh, that I don't want any more of, but I love my kids. I just, uh, I, I'm content with what I have. I'm thankful for a job that I love to be able to do. I'm thankful for a roof over my head and the food that we're able to eat, for relatively good health, and for the salvation that I have in Christ Jesus. Along with that last one, I'm also thankful for the knowledge that death is not the end for me. Instead, there is a promise of eternal life that has been given to all those who will receive the gift of salvation. I'm thankful for the peace that I have in knowing that one day Christ will come back for me. But that introduces the question that I want to talk about this morning. We actually talked about it a little bit last week, and I want to follow up on it this morning. When? When is Christ going to come back for us? Look with me, if you would, at the scriptures for a moment, as we see four of Jesus' disciples ask this very question. It's in Mark chapter 13. The question is actually asked early in the passage, and I almost feel like Jesus didn't want to give them the short answer. It's almost like they were looking for a quick answer where maybe he would just give them a date or a time, but rather, instead, he gives them a very, very long answer. First, let's look at the question, Mark chapter 13 in verse 3. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they are all about to be fulfilled? The disciples were a little bit curious here. They had just seen the beauty of the temple. In fact, they had even remarked about how beautiful the temple looked. Jesus says, don't become too enamored by those things. Because one day they're all going to be gone. Every one of these stones will be torn down. 
So they just want to know when. When is this going to take place? Well, in the next several verses, Jesus would indirectly answer their question. He doesn't give them a specific answer. He doesn't say, well, the Lord will return on Monday, November 23rd, 2015. It would be nice if he did that, but you realize what the problem with that would be. Up until Monday, November 23rd, 2015, we would be filled with a world full of people living for themselves thinking, well, the Lord's not coming back today. But rather, instead of giving a specific date and time, he gives them some of the signs that will take place that they need to be looking out for. In fact, it is likely many of those who heard these words from Jesus assumed that this time would take place in their very own lifetimes. He mentioned some of the signs. He talks about false prophets. We talked about them last week. People claiming to be Christ. He mentions wars and rumors of wars and even civil war. He even talks about some of the natural disasters like famines and earthquakes. In addition, he talks about some of the spiritual battles associated with the return of Christ. He talks about great persecution coming upon the church and the fact that the gospel message would have to be preached throughout the entire world before this would actually take place. What I would suggest to you before we get into anything else is that all of these things are already occurring or they have already occurred. Last week, I gave you examples of individuals who have become those false prophets, those false Christs. There are wars, there are rumors of war all around us, as well as famines and earthquakes and other natural disasters. Last year, the severe outbreak of the Ebola virus in Africa certainly fits the idea of natural disasters that are coming upon this world today. And of course, the persecution of the church is everywhere. We are in the most tolerant nation in the world, tolerant of everything except Christianity. By the way, this is not about red cups at Starbucks, but rather the idea that Christ has generally had to take a back seat in our society. It's as if Christianity is acceptable as long as you keep it to yourself. You can be Christian just on Sunday. Don't let it, don't let it impact the way you work, the way you live. Don't bring that to your job place. Be Christ-centered on Sunday morning or in your own personal prayer time, but leave your Christianity at home when you go to work. The problem is that I can't turn my Christianity on and off like that. It doesn't work that way, and you shouldn't be able to either. My Christianity is not something that I do only part-time, and the same should be true for all of us. But persecution is not just something that we experience in the United States. In fact, it is likely that we have never experienced persecution the way other people around the world experience persecution. In the Middle East today, Christians are being forced from their homes. Pastors are being arrested. Young Christian girls are being married off after being kidnapped and forcibly married into families they did not choose. Churches are being destroyed. Persecution takes place all around the world. So we see the things that Jesus mentioned being fulfilled right before our eyes. The point is that if you are not, 
If you are not ready as of right now, you probably better get ready. Because although Jesus doesn't give us a specific time, the time is coming. Again, I don't know the, for sure the date or time, but the signs are in place. You must be ready. In fact, much later in this passage, Jesus kind of says some of the same things. Look down in verse 32 of the same passage. But about the day, about that day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. Be alert. You do not know when that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with their own assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. Within Jesus' response, we see three things that are worth noting in this passage. The first is that God has left us to care for his creation. Psalm 24 verse 1 identifies ownership specifically of our world. It identifies the fact that this creation all around us does not belong to us, but rather to God. It says in Psalm 24 1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. And within that verse, we see two key elements, the world and all who live in it. First, let's look at the world. All the way back in the Garden of Eden, God created Adam and Eve, giving them very specific instructions. They were to care for God's creation, to have dominion over the fish and the birds and every crawling creature. In this way, they would protect the world which God had made. Let me suggest to you that while I may not hold to all of the environmentalist viewpoint regarding taking care of our world. I clearly don't agree with the principles associated with global warming, but I do believe that we still have the responsibility to take care of this world. It's about stewardship. This world is a great resource which God has blessed us with, so we need to make good use of it, making sure that it's available for future generations as well. But the second part of caring for God's creation that we saw here in Psalm 24 is found in the last phrase of that verse. He says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. And of course, I'm going to focus on all who live in it. We have a responsibility to care for God's people, the people who were created in God's image. This is the time of year that we tend to be a little more conscious of this responsibility. We drop some money in the Salvation Army bucket in front of the store, or we participate in food drives, or we start thinking about giving gifts to individuals who perhaps they don't have as much. But this is a year-round call. We ought to be thinking about taking care of creation more than just during the Thanksgiving and Christmas season. We ought to be thinking constantly, how can we... Take care of the people whom God has placed around us. In addition, this is more than just feeding the hungry or visiting the sick. Now, certainly, these are things we ought to do. 
And in fact, Jesus expects us to do those things. But this is also about taking care of the spiritual needs of God's creation. Making sure that individuals know what they need as children of God. That means that we have the responsibility to share with all those who live in our world about the hope that can only be found in Jesus Christ. And of course, we do this in various ways. We may give to support missionaries around the world. There are some great missionaries who do great work, and we need to support them because often they are able to do things that we would not be able to do. For example, imagine there being a language barrier and you trying to minister to someone. You can actually support others who can cross that barrier for us. We may give to support missionaries or we all ought to be tithing to our local church. We may serve in a local church environment, maybe in children's ministry or youth ministry or with the BYF ministry, whatever it may look like. We may help out with Clemson Community Cares. All of these are examples of taking care of the world around us. And one of the best ways to take care of this world is in the midst of crisis. As we've seen in recent weeks and months, There are plenty of opportunities to do this in our world. Amidst all the terroristic acts and the violence in our own nation and the brokenness which dominates our society, there is a multitude of opportunities which enables us to share the love of Christ with them. But the real question isn't whether or not God will give us the opportunities The question is whether or not we will act to offer that love and grace in the midst of those opportunities. You remember that quote I gave you at the beginning from John Quincy Adams about all that has gone in to our freedom, the sacrifices that his generation made to make that possible? What will you do with the freedom that God has offered to you? Of course, a few, in a few moments, I'll go back to the impending judgment of God. But did you know that God desires for every human being to be found not guilty when that day of judgment comes? We're told in 2 Peter 3, 9, that the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish but everyone to come to repentance. Well, understand that only Jesus can truly take away our guilt. Only by turning to God is there any hope for any of us to be found not guilty on that day of judgment. That means that if the rest of creation is to be found not guilty, then we need to be pointing them to Jesus now. This is a part of taking care of God's creation, all those who are in it, pointing people to Jesus Christ. Now going back to the original passage today in Mark 13, we see that not only are we to care for God's creation, but we have a promise that one day Christ will come back. The passage says that we are to keep watch, for one day the master will return. You know, next Sunday begins the season of Advent for us. It's a time to celebrate the revelation of Christ to the world. It's about his coming to deliver his people. Well, as we prepare to celebrate his first coming, which was 2,000 years ago, it also seems appropriate to take a look at his second coming, which is in the very near future. 
This idea of the master returning for us ought to bring some comfort and encouragement to us. And at the same time, this same promise probably strikes fear in other people. On the side of comfort and encouragement, the master's return will signify the finish line, which is a wonderful idea. Paul reflects on this moment as he writes in 2 Timothy chapter 4. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. What a great promise and a great statement of confidence. Paul knows that he is nearing the finish line. Well, as we reach the finish line, there is a great reward that awaits us. And that ought to bring us great encouragement. On the other hand, there will be those who fear such an encounter. Take a moment and remember back to your days in high school for a moment. You're sitting in class and suddenly a voice is heard over the loudspeaker. Would Mike McClung please come to the office? The next thing you would hear comes from your classmates. Ooh, you got called to the office. You're in so much trouble. And in the back of your mind, you're sitting there and you're thinking to yourself, did I do something to get in trouble? And you start working through things and you know you probably didn't, but there's still this sense of discomfort because you're just not sure. Of course, there were others who when they heard their name called, they knew they were in trouble. Would Randy Malasso please come to the office? (laughs) And immediately Randy thought, oh yeah, I'm in trouble. (laughs) Well, imagine being called before the throne of God and you knowing that you are guilty and that there is nothing that you can do to take away your guilt. That truly is a horrible thought. Well, regardless of the fear or peace that comes over you with this thought, you can know for sure that he will come back. There's going to come a day that you're going to be called to the principal's office. And you're going to stand before God and you're going to have to give an account of who you are, of what you've done. And here's the bad news. All of us have sinned. And we have all fallen short of the glory of God. And when we stand before him, he's going to know about that sin. But understand that your sin can be completely forgiven only by the grace of Jesus Christ. All we have to do is come before him to confess our sins. And he is faithful and just. And he will forgive us of those sins. He is coming back. Jesus said in John 14, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. This means he is coming back. Now, I'll tell you that everything I've shared up until this point is important stuff. But if you only catch one point in the message, I want you to catch this next point. As we know that he is coming back, 
you must be ready. Consider the words of Luke chapter 12. As Jesus was speaking, he said, It will be good for those servants whose masters find them watching when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will dress himself to serve. He will have them recline at the table and will come and wait on them. It will be good for those servants whose masters find them ready, even if he comes in the middle of the night or toward daybreak. That is not a fearful statement. This is a statement of blessing. It will be good. He will reward. He will bless. But he is coming. Matthew 24, verse 40 says, Two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two men will be grinding with a handmill, one will be taken and the other left. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have left his house. Let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. Hour. Nobody knows when Christ will return, but we are not guaranteed tomorrow. We are not even guaranteed the next moment. My question for you this morning is, are you ready? It used to be a time that the church often preached a message of fear. You must be saved now because the Lord might come tonight. You must be saved now because you could die on your way home. I will tell you, we probably need a little bit more of that. Because the reality is we are not guaranteed tomorrow. So I ask you today, are you ready? If you would, bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Father, as we come before you today, we are grateful for you. We are grateful for the fact that you are patient. You're not slow in keeping your promises, but rather you have been waiting and waiting and waiting so that everyone might have the chance to repent of our sins. But we don't know when that day is going to come, but we know that it could be today. It could be tomorrow. But we don't want to be caught off guard. With every head bowed and eye closed this morning, I just have a question for you. Actually, it's an invitation. If you're not ready right now, I'm going to open up the altar for you. If the Lord were to come back today, you are fearful that perhaps you would be one of those who was left behind, who was watching. I want to give you the opportunity to respond this morning. As the altar is open this morning, maybe you realize your sin is present. And maybe you question whether or not you are ready to meet our Lord. He desires 
for you to be right with him. Sometimes I have people raise their hands, but today I'm going to invite you to come to the altar. Is there anyone who would like to come forward and pray this morning? Father, as we come before you today, Lord, I thank you for the joy and the peace that I have in knowing what tomorrow holds. Not necessarily that you're coming tomorrow. Not necessarily that I know all of the other things that might take place tomorrow. But I know the one who holds tomorrow, and it's you. Thank you for the peace that I have and so many others in this room have today in knowing you as their personal Savior. Lord, I pray that you would help us to do more than just experience a Sunday morning worship. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be totally transformed so that as we experience more of you, Lord, I pray that this world might hunger and thirst for what we have that they might be changed by your grace, that they might know that there is a hope, that there is only one hope, and it is found in you. Lord, I pray today for perhaps, if there are individuals who are here, who perhaps they do not yet know you. Or perhaps they simply are just not sure if they're ready. Lord, I pray for you to speak to their hearts right now, fill them with such conviction that they would have no other choice but to surrender their everything to you. Lord, I pray that you would change hearts. Pray that you would cause us to hunger and thirst after you, to experience you in a personal and fresh way. Lord, I pray for your anointing. Lord, I pray today that you would help us as a church to stay the course, to be faithful to you in all things. And Lord, I pray that as you minister to us, may you find us watching and waiting, ready for your return. Lord, I pray that you'd be honored in the way we live. In Christ's name we pray, amen. I do hope everybody's ready today, and that's my prayer. That probably scared you. I've seen that video six times, and it scares me every time at that point. But I want you to know that it's going to catch us by surprise when the Lord comes back. And we're not guaranteed tomorrow. We're not guaranteed a second chance. So be ready when that first chance comes. So thank you for being with us. I do want to encourage you over the next week, celebrate Thanksgiving like this is the best season of your life because God has been very good. Maybe sit down around the table this week and just make a list with your family. These are things I'm thankful for. These are the great things God has blessed us with. Enjoy your time with family. Thank you for being with us this morning. Go in peace.